An Undeceptions podcast. Hi, if you're a regular listener to Undeceptions, you'll definitely know by now that I released a new book in 2021 called Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history. We're going to be back with season six in late February, but until then, I thought you might like this series of short readings from Bullies and Saints. It's kind of a cheat sheet for the book for those who don't want to read the whole thing, and I can respect that. And while you're in a podcast mood, why not take some time to look through our back catalogue of episodes? There are now over 60 episodes for you to get your teeth into over January. So take a look at some of the ones you might have missed. I hope you enjoy. Bullies and Saints. An honest look at the good and evil of Christian history with John Dixon. The first Christians believed that God would one day deal with the oppressors, but they themselves were forbidden to take matters into their own hands. Hi, I'm John Dixon, and welcome to this super series on my new book, Bullies and Saints. Bullies and Saints uncovers the highs and lows in the history of the Christian faith. My goal is really to help you decide for yourself whether you think the faith makes sense and is worth following. Each episode, I'll give you a free excerpt from the upcoming Bullies and Saints audiobook. And in this edition, we're going to uncover the character of the earliest Christians before it all went pear-shaped. We're going to see how they, at first, were really good losers. The Church Under Roman Rule from Emperor Tiberius, AD 14 to 37, to Emperor Constantine, AD 306 to 337, specialised in what you might call losing well. Christians accepted that the state had the right to use force against evildoers, but it held that they themselves had no such right. Christians were almost entirely pacifist in outlook. I say almost because there is mixed evidence about how the church responded to soldiers who wanted to be Christians, as I'll explain in chapter 12. The very structure of their faith, grounded in Christ's sacrifice, forbade revenge and demanded compassion, even toward enemies. In those days, the church was more likely to be mocked for its devotion to philanthropy and martyrdom, I mean literally mocked for these things, than for bigotry or violence. In those days, you could never have imagined that Christians would one day appear as bullies. The New Testament book of Acts gives us front row seats to the expansion of troubles for Christianity in the first three decades. Less well known is what happened immediately after that period. The expansion of the church from AD 60 to 300 has been described to me by well-known classical historians as almost miraculous. I myself wrote a long doctoral thesis on Christian mission in the early Roman Empire, and I am frankly at a loss to explain the success of Christianity in the face of Roman opposition. 
I can tell you what Christians did and where they went, but I cannot account for the end result. The ancient history department at Macquarie University, where I did my studies, was not interested in theological speculations about the matter concerning God's involvement in the movement. Historically speaking, it is all pretty mysterious. In any case, we have clear evidence that churches were thriving in Rome itself within 15 years of the death of Jesus in Jerusalem. By the late AD 40s, Christian debates in the city had even come to the notice of the Emperor Claudius, who expelled some of the ringleaders of the disturbance. Less than 20 years later, expulsion morphed into genuine persecution. This is a theme that has admittedly been exaggerated by Christians over the years as they've retold stories of endless persecutions and unconquerable faith. Recent writers have tried to correct the myth by minimising the evidence almost beyond recognition. One notable example is the English New Testament scholar Candida Moss in her 2013 book The Myth of Persecution – how early Christians invented a story of martyrdom. The title is a little clickbaity. Dr Moss knows as well as anyone that while Christians were not routinely persecuted by the Romans, we have good evidence that they were formally repressed on several occasions in this early period, and the experience left an indelible mark on the Christian consciousness. In AD 64, Emperor Nero convicted vast numbers of Christians in Rome. The Roman statesman and chronicler Cornelius Tacitus left us a brief but brutal account. They were covered with wild beasts' skins and torn to death by dogs, he calmly reports. And they were fastened on crosses, and when daylight failed, were burned to serve as lamps by night. And just when you thought it couldn't get worse, he goes on, Nero had offered his gardens for the spectacle and gave an exhibition in his circus, a games arena, mixing with the crowd in the habit of a charioteer. Tacitus himself was no fan of Christianity. He thought of it as a pernicious superstition and a disease, which all started when, quote, Christus, the founder of the name, had undergone the death penalty in the reign of Tiberius by sentence of the procurator Pontius Pilate. Still, Tacitus could admit that some Romans began to feel a bit sorry for the Christians. Nero's actions were the first state-sponsored violent suppression of Christians, just 30 years after Jesus. This is about the time when many of the New Testament texts, gospels and letters, were written. One text, penned by the Apostle Paul to the fledgling churches of Rome just a few years before Nero's violence against them, urges believers to prepare for opposition by recalling the ethos of Jesus. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, verses 17 to 21. The first Christians believed that God would one day deal with the oppressors, but they themselves 
were forbidden to take matters into their own hands. A few years ago, I stood in what remains of Nero's circus. The site now lies within the walls of the Vatican. There's something poetic about that. I thought about these ancient Christians to whom Paul had written this letter. I wondered how they processed the words, overcome evil with good, when Nero started to crucify and burn them for a spectacle. Anonymous Pamphlets in Bithynia We have excellent evidence from 50 years later of widening state action against Christians in the important Roman province of Bithynia Pontus in the north of modern-day Turkey. By the year 112, it had become the norm in this region to pursue, interrogate and even execute Christians. We only know this because the provincial governor, the 39-year-old Pliny the Younger, wrote to Emperor Trajan, seeking his advice on how to proceed. We have that letter, along with more than a hundred of his other letters. Pliny was almost feeling bad that he had to round up so many locals. He begins the letter, It is my custom to refer all my difficulties to you, sir, for no one is better able to resolve my doubts and to inform my ignorance. It turns out that Pliny had never tried Christians before. He seems to have inherited the policy on taking up his position. I do not know the nature or the extent of the punishments usually meted out to them, he writes, nor the grounds for starting an investigation and how far it should be pressed. The problem has become significant, Pliny tells us, because locals are now informing on Christians by circulating anonymous pamphlets naming names. Demetrius the leather worker is a Christian. Junior the seamstress was seen at church, and so on. Why would locals denounce their neighbours in this way? From several hints in the letter, notes Robert Wilkin of the University of Virginia, it is possible to infer that the charge was brought by local merchants, perhaps butchers, and others engaged in the slaughter and sale of sacrificial meat. When people became Christians, they stopped sacrificing animals in the pagan temples, and sometimes they even stopped buying the meat that was taken from those temple sacrifices to the marketplace to be unsold. The meat was now deemed by Christians and Jews to be tainted. Conversion to Christianity threatened the local business. And the numbers were growing. Pliny frets that a great many individuals of every age and class, both men and women, are being brought to trial. As a good Roman, he has no interest in overstepping the boundaries of justice. He doesn't want to kill people willy-nilly. He outlines for the emperor his interim policy. For the moment, this is the line I have taken with all persons brought before me on the charge of being Christians. I have asked them in person if they are Christians, and if they admit it, I repeat the question a second and third time, with a warning of the punishment awaiting them. If they persist, I order them to be led away for execution. For whatever the nature of their admission, I am convinced that their stubbornness and unshakable obstinacy ought not to go unpunished. Almost a hundred years after Jesus had proclaimed, Love your enemies, 
do good to those who hate you. It's clear that this was still the melody Christians were expected to sing. Thanks for listening to this excerpt from my new book, Bullies and Saints. Click over to Amazon.com where you can pick up a copy of the full audiobook or a print copy if you like the feel of paper in your hand, like I do. And if you've enjoyed the content, let me encourage you to go to the Undeceptions website where you'll find much more like it, including my Undeceptions podcast. That's Undeceptions.com. See ya. Exceptions Podcast.